0: Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in the series, Christ and His Disciples, a study of Luke. The name of the sermon is called Go For It, and Pastor Brandon will be preaching from Luke 10, 1 through 24. Let's join Pastor Brandon now. Well, as we're diving today into Luke 10, we are in week two of our series, Christ and His Disciples, and that word in this sermon series, Christ and our Disciples, the word disciples should catch our attention. Here at Village Church, what's our mission? We make Disciples who love God fully, who love people completely. We are a disciple church. We are in a disciple sermon series, and we're studying a disciple passage of scripture here this morning. And so when Luke starts out chapter 10 in the way that he does, verses 1 and 2, and after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, them the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest we need to pause when we reach the end of verse 2 and we have to ask ourselves how is it that we as 21st century disciples are supposed to engage within this passage of scripture here today I mean, this isn't just something, obviously, that we're intended to interact with the spectators. This isn't a, a history book that we're reading, even though it is historical. This isn't some encyclopedia that we're reading for the, the simple fact of gaining knowledge. The Spirit of God intends to use the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. Every time that we read Scripture, every time that we hear Scripture proclaimed, the goal is for us to be changed, to be more like Jesus, so that that we're loving Jesus more deeply, that we're following Him more closely. So how is it that we engage with this passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 10 today? As as we read this, as we study this, is the purpose of this so that uh, we become people who worship Jesus for what he's doing in this unique time in history as, as his mission is advancing throughout this region of the Middle East and and that as we learn more and more about uh, how God is at work within history that that we we respond with praising him for what he's doing in history should we, should we be people who who pray For the Lord to send out people into his harvest field? Are are we called to be prayer warriors so that other people will will go and they'll bring the gospel of Jesus and they'll bring the message of the kingdom of God to bear on other people's lives and out into the world? We are part of the missionary church denomination. And many of the leaders in our denomination actually have alarms set uh, either on their watch or on their phone for 1002 a.m. every day because at 1002 because they want to be in, in keeping with Luke chapter 10 verse 2 they stop whatever they're doing and they pause and pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field well is that something that we all should be doing you know in in, in some unique form or another Is that how we're supposed to enter this passage? Or are we supposed to look at ourselves through the lens of the 72 that Jesus is sending out? Because as we go throughout this passage and we read what God is is teaching this additional group of disciples, this is a group that's beyond the original 12 apostles that were called, to what extent... Do the things that Jesus is saying to this group of 72 first century disciples apply to us as 21st century disciples? I think God will make all of this crystal clear to us as we make our way through this passage, but if we're going to gain that clarity, we have to make our way through the passage. Because this passage, it doesn't so much tell us the answer to this question as it shows us the answer to the question. One of the things that this passage shows us is that as Jesus sends out his disciples on his mission, this mission's calling is challenging. You say this about Jesus. He he doesn't mince words about what comes with the territory, about being sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 3. Go your way, behold I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Especially against the backdrop of what Pastor David was teaching us last night from the end of Luke 9 as we were learning about even some of the hostility that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is telling this group of 72, as you go out on this mission, you don't have home field advantage. In fact, there will be people who want to do you harm. And on top of that, as you're going out into this hostile territory, don't take your hostile territory survival kit with you. In fact, do just the opposite. Travel light. Verse 4, carry no money bag. What Jesus is basically telling his his disciples here is saying, leave your wallet at home, leave your suitcase at home, leave your smartphone at home, just travel with a single-minded, undistractable focus to the villages where I myself will be going someday. And, And as you travel light, and as you travel into this hostile territory, this provides you with a fantastic opportunity to watch and see how my Father is going to provide for you whether it's for your basic needs, lodging, food, whether it's for those key relationships that will serve as an anchor point for your ministry within this town, just watch and see how my Father will provide. And as you serve on this mission, my Father's power will be made evident through you as you proclaim that there's a new kingdom in town. Verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And Jesus goes on to say, he continues to say, make no mistake about it, even though your ministry will give people a taste of my kingdom, which has come to make people whole, which has come to restore people in a right relationship with their creator, that message may not always be well received. And if that happens, or when that happens, verse 10, whenever you go enter a town and they do not receive you, well then here's what you do. Here's how you handle that. Second part of verse 10 and following, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. The mission that Jesus calls his disciples to join him in, this is a challenging mission. It takes his disciples into settings that can be unfriendly. It thrusts his disciples into situations that cause us to depend on God like never before. And while this mission, yes, it places us at the epicenter of Jesus healing, bondage-breaking, sin-forgiving, death-conquering work in the world, you may still be accepted or rejected as you go to represent me wherever I send you. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us that this mission's calling is so challenging. Why? It's because this mission's message is so critical. The way that people respond to this message of the kingdom, it means the difference between heaven and hell. And it would be enough if the message of the kingdom of God that Jesus has come to usher in means that the power of sin and death would be broken in this world. But it's not just for life in this world that this message has meaning. It's for life in the world to come too. And the stakes for those who reject this message are staggering. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. A little context here. You have, you have Chorazin, you have Bethsaida. These are towns that are near Capernaum. This is an area throughout Luke's Gospel already. Early Here we're just into chapter 10. But Jesus has done quite a bit of ministry in and around Capernaum. But even though you have people in these towns and villages that that have they have seen miracles, okay? They have literally seen people physically healed. They have literally seen people who were bound with demons and those demons were cast out of them. We've come now to a point in Luke's gospel where these people who have seen firsthand what God has what God Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has come to proclaim and declare and invite people to participate in. These people have now rejected him. And it's the ultimate insult. Tyre and Sidon this is back in Old Testament times. So you have an Old Testament history out of all the wicked cities there were back in the Old Testament. There are a lot of wicked cities in the Old Testament, you know. Tyre and Sidon, they were right up there or right down there depending on your point of view but they were right there for uh, the most evil wicked cities that existed and Jesus is saying that for those who reject the message of God's kingdom that he's sending the 72 out there to claim, well the day of judgment will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon than it's going to be for Chorazin for Bethsaida for Capernaum and and for anyone else who rejects Jesus. For anyone who rejects the Jesus that his disciples have come to proclaim. It's almost startling to see how closely Jesus hitches his wagon to his disciples. In verse 16, he's telling his disciples, if, if they hear you, they listen to you, it's just as good as if they were listening to me. If they reject you, it's just as bad as if they're rejecting me. And if they're rejecting me, it's just as bad as if they're rejecting the one who sent me. But that's how high the stakes are. That's how critical the message of Jesus' mission is. And as Jesus' disciples go out on this mission, it becomes abundantly, gloriously evident that this mission's authority is clear. See, Jesus' disciples, they're not sent out in their own name. They're not sent out in their own authority. They're sent out in the name of Jesus. They're sent out in the authority of Jesus to make it plain as day evident that there's a new kingdom in town and that all are welcome. That all are invited to take part in the blessings of this kingdom. Now, Luke 10 tells the story in a unique way. Luke assumes that there's a lot happening that happens in between verse 16 and verse 17. Because for the first 16 verses, you have Luke, or you have Jesus giving uh, the 72, uh, their, their instructions, their commission for ministry. And evidently, between verse 16 and verse 17, they've gone out and they have done it. And things have gone really well. Because as you look in verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Go back up to verse 9 real quick. When Jesus is commissioning the 72, Jesus tells them, heal the sick, in whatever town you go to, heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Make the coming of the kingdom of God known through healing the sick. Well, now you get back in verse 17, the 72, they come back, and they're over the top excited because they're reporting to Jesus that authority that you gave us. It's not just that, that, people, that sick people are being healed. Even the demons are subject to us. This is cool. <laughs> and I, I, I can picture Jesus, and he's smiling, He's seeing his followers come back and they're amazed at how they're seeing God's power working through them. And then Jesus is like, hey folks, you think demons being subject to you is amazing? Let me tell you a story. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven now, Jesus isn't telling this story because he's, he's trying to play this game of can you top this with his disciples. He's actually he's trying to teach them a very important truth here. Even though the authority of this mission is clear, keep this authority in its proper perspective. Verses 19 and 20. Behold, I, give, I, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy... And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, for those who are Jesus' disciples, yes, ultimate victory is granted to us through the ultimate authority of Jesus. There is nothing in all of creation that could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We could say with confidence, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But here's the thing. There's something about spiritual authority that if if it's left unchecked, it can go to people's heads. And it can fill their souls with spiritual pride. And it could be deadly. And I believe that's why Jesus says what he says in verse 20, because when we stop and think about, okay, why is it that my name is written in heaven? we stop and think about that, we're reminded that it's not because of our good works. And it's not because of the good works that we do as the authority of God, as the ministry of the kingdom of God, and whatever expression it takes, is that's brought about through our lives. Our names are not written in heaven because of us. Our names are written in heaven in spite of us. Our names are written in heaven because of Grace. Because of of, of the saving, forgiving, undeserved grace of Jesus. And as Jesus' disciples place their focus on that grace, we remain humble and we give honor where it's rightly due to Jesus himself. And so even as this mission's authority is clear, that authority must stay anchored in clear view of the undeserved grace of God. And as these things happen, as as all of these things happen, this mission's outcome is joyous. So much of what we've seen so far here, Luke chapter 10, it's directed towards the disciples. It's the disciples who are being commissioned. It's the disciples who are being equipped. It's the disciples who are being warned and empowered. And the disciples go and do the work of God. And they, tell, and, and they come back and they tell Jesus how God is at work. And, and they're reminded of God's saving grace. But what's going through Jesus' mind and heart as all of this is happening? you remember that moment in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus you know, says for, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks? I, I, don't know, I, I think we see Jesus having one of his own heart overflow moments here, starting in verse 21. Because he, he's not just rejoicing that God's kingdom is coming to bear. He's rejoicing in how it's happening. He's rejoicing in, in who it's happening through. Read uh, it, If you look at uh, verses 21 and following, in that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding... And he revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me, by my, my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or whom the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning his eyes to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, And did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. God is building his kingdom as, as his kingdom is coming, as God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not doing this work through the obvious suspects, He's not doing this through people who are on the who's who list of the first century world and before. In modern day terms, he, he's not looking for the people who have the elite pedigrees, the people who are the movers and shakers, the ones who can make friends and influence people. Jesus isn't looking for first-round draft picks. He isn't looking for top-tier free agents that he could, he could build some sort of kingdom super team around. Instead, he delights in people who will simply trust him. And whoever you are, man, woman, boy, girl, it doesn't matter however much education or money that you have, it, it doesn't matter. What, whatever talents or skills or abilities you do or don't have, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're the Queen of England or whether you have messed up in life more times than you can count. Our Father delights in revealing Himself to people who will simply trust Him like a child. And the joy that this brings to the heart of Jesus, the joy that this brings to our Heavenly Father, and what joy that it brings us to know not only that, that anyone, that everyone can become a member of God's kingdom through the saving grace of Jesus, but also to know that, that anyone, that everyone can be used by God to bring the kingdom of God to bear in the world. That's one of the main messages here of Luke 10. It's that the power of God doesn't just work through a select group of people. It was just a few chapters ago, Jesus actually gave a very similar commission, a very similar calling to a group of 12 disciples. But Jesus didn't stop with that one group of 12. He's calling another 12, and another 12, and another, and another, and another, and another. And he's saying, all y'all, go and proclaim the kingdom of God has come near. So as we come back full circle to our opening question, where is it that we're supposed to find ourselves... Within the story of Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24, are, are we supposed to be people who, who, who observe and learn so that we can respond and worship? Are, are we supposed to be people who, who pray that God will send out workers into his harvest field? Are we supposed to be people who are supposed to go out and do something? Well, Where is it that we as disciples are supposed to find ourselves within this story? Let's think of it this way. I'm trying to come at the uh, answer this question a little bit through the side door. Okay, it's football season. And I want you to think about the community that you live in. Uh, th- think of your community's high school football team. And I want you to think of them a couple of weeks ago doing, let's say they were doing a two-a-day workouts, so morning and evening, in the, in the summer heat and humidity, Monday through Friday, and at the end of the week, I tell you two things. One, those teenagers are going to be tired. And two, those teenagers are going to be hungry. And then after the final workout of the week, let's say that the coach puts the team on a couple of school buses, and without telling them why he's putting them on the school buses, put, takes them on a 75-minute bus ride into the city. Now, throughout that bus ride, you're going to have these football players, and they're going to be going from hungry to hangry. But what... They are going to discover what they don't know is that their coach's dad has one of those hole in the wall, authentic Chicago pizza places that they run uh, down in the city. And the coach has called ahead and he has reserved the entire restaurant for the team. Where waiting for them is an all you can eat pizza buffet, along with all sorts of ice cold, refreshing Coca Cola. Not Pepsi. Pepsi's gross. Coke, okay? (laughs) Now, when the team sees the pizza buffet that that is spread out before them, do you think that this group of high school football players, after the end of this week of workouts, that they're gonna be asking, "Uh, uh, Coach, should we only take one slice before everyone has been served? Or you have another one, raise their hand. Coach, should, do, do we have to take up a clean plate every time we get seconds? If, if they do these, these sorts of, of, of timid reserves, well, first of all, I can tell you, you're probably looking at a football team that's going to win zero games this year. But they're not going to do that. This, this group of tired, hungry, hangry teenage football players, they are going to go for it. Anything that's available to them, as much as they want, whatever they want, they're going to go for it. And it will be a force unlike anything you have ever seen, let me tell you. And if they want to go back in the kitchen and watch them make more pizza, they can do that too. And even if they wanted to invite others to come in and be a part of the party, they could do that too. But let me tell this team, they will not get cheated. And it's, it, it's that same type of, of no-holds-barred, full-on pursuit of the kingdom of God. This is where we are to find ourselves. In the middle of Luke 10. Because this kingdom is so great. Our king is so amazing. His grace is so sufficient. His power and his authority. Is, it's able to make people whole. That the only fitting response. For us to have for this story. Is to say God whatever it is. That you have for me. I want to go for it. You are that awesome, you are that incredible, you are that merciful and loving and righteous and holy, and so anything and everything that I could do as a response to say thank you for all that you are, for all that you do, I want that. That's where we find ourselves in the middle of Luke 10. So however, this sparks worship in you. And either as you search scripture, as you look at church history, or even as you read more modern day stories about, about how God is working through every, everyday people in the present day, go for it. Because Jesus is worth it, and his kingdom is worth it, and his mission is worth it. And however you want to pray, For God to send out workers into his harvest field, whoever those workers may be, wherever they may be sent from, whether they're sent right here from Village Church of Gurney, as God has done down through the years, or wherever they are sent from, pray, and pray often. Because Jesus is worth it, and his kingdom is worth it, and his mission is worth it. Whatever your own personal involvement might be in this mission, Okay, so sometimes we we can think of this from the angle of, well, I I, I want to do what's right. I I I want to please God with my life. And I I don't want to do less than my part, but God, God guide me, please. What 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 is sufficient involvement in your kingdom work? Now I I will affirm people who have taken that step because it's regrettable that, that that some have not yet taken that step of even asking that question, of even offering themselves to God to that extent. But, but at the same time, th- this mission, this kingdom, this gospel, this Jesus is so infinitely enormous and amazing and powerful and everything else. And, and, and our, our functional responses say, well, what what's sufficient? Or, or what what's adequate? No, 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 no. We have been invited. We we are free with childlike faith to immerse ourselves and to surrender ourselves to the one who has surrendered his all to us. And as we do that, the ways that Jesus will use us to accomplish his mission, they will be as unique and varied as we as people are ourselves. Yeah, it'll get awkward and messy at times because let's admit, it we're awkward and messy ourselves. But you know, through this work through, through the grace, through the goodness, through the power and the authority of Jesus, it, it just becomes this beautiful mosaic or this, this, this symphony where, where the, 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 the whole is so much greater than the sum of the parts. And through it all, people will come to know that there's a new kingdom in town. And they'll know that King Jesus invites anyone and everyone to belong to this kingdom and that he invites anyone and everyone to live out his mission, this this challenging, critical, clear, joyous mission and to make its message known. How do we respond to Luke 10? Where do we find ourselves in this story? The answer is all of the above and so much more. Anything and everything that Jesus makes available to us as we respond to His mission, as we respond to His kingdom. Go for it, Village Church. Go for it. Let's pray. Lord, in in acknowledging that um, I and we maybe don't know all the details of what go for it looks like, Help us to trust you for those details. And as we follow you in faith and in obedience, trusting you and your provision, may we marvel at the things that you do through us individually and collectively. And always, Lord, may you bring us back to the grace that has saved us and praise you for that. May may our very lives rise up as an expression of worship and service to you day by day, moment by moment. May our lives rise up. May we shine your light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.